You're listening to audio from Citizens Church, located in Plano, Texas. For more information about this ministry or to give to this ministry, please visit citizenschurch.com. Good morning, church. It's good to see you guys today. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3 today. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. There is a famous quote by Martin Luther, and it goes like this. Whoever knows well how to distinguish the gospel from the law should be placed at the head of the class and called a doctor of the Holy Scriptures. My, my entire sermon today is basically just this one question. What is the difference between the law and the gospel? Right? What is the difference between the law and the gospel? Now, I'm going to come back to this question in a minute. But for right now, if you've got your Bibles, again, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Now, today we're going to be taking a look at one of my favorite verses in Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's a little verse with enormous implications. If you remember, Paul's letter to the Galatians is a fiery and passionate defense of the centrality of the gospel. In the first chapter, Paul warns the Galatian Christians not to turn away from the gospel to another gospel. And he warns them that there's only one gospel. And in chapter 1, verse 8, he strengthens his warning, saying this, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. There's only one gospel. And anyone who preaches a contrary gospel is in grave danger. But then a couple of chapters later in chapter 3, Paul says something very odd, very curious. Look at Galatians chapter 3, verse 8. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, that's you, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying in You shall all the nations be blessed. There are two strange, puzzling features in this little verse, right? So first, Paul says that the gospel was preached to Abraham. Now, before today, if I had asked you, did Abraham know the gospel, how many of you would have said, yeah, obviously, everyone knows that. Secondly, Paul says the content of the gospel that Abraham heard was this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Right? Likewise, if I asked you before today, what's the gospel? How many of you would have been like, oh, that's easy. The gospel is this, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Right? Probably none of you would have said that. Isn't that a little strange? Isn't that a little surprising? How can Paul say there's only one gospel and then say this is the gospel? How can Paul say Abraham knew the gospel? All right, to solve this question, We need to answer that question that I I asked at the very beginning. What is the difference between the law and the gospel? Okay, you ready? So here's a pop quiz. I'm going to read you four statements, and I just want you to do just one thing. So I'm going to read you four statements, and you will decide if uh, what I'm reading fits into one of two categories, okay? So decide whether what I read to you is advice or news. Advice or news. Okay, here we go. On July 20, 1969, over a billion people listened as Neil Armstrong said these words. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. 
Saying this, he stepped off the lunar module, becoming the first man to walk on the moon. Is that advice or is that news? News. Right. That's exactly right. Okay. Number two, work out at least 30 minutes every day. News or advice? Advice. That's right. All right, number three, these get a little harder each time. Number three, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Is that advice or is that news? It's advice. Very good. I love that nice, loud answer. Number four, here we go. On July 3rd, 1996, alien ships obliterated New York, L.A., Washington, D.C., Paris, and London. But on the next day, July 4th, a small group of plucky survivors led by Will Smith successfully destroyed the mothership, securing the entire world's Independence Day. Is that advice or is that news? That's news. It's fake news, but it's news. It's not true, but it's not advice, is it? Right? Okay. So what's the point in doing this silly little exercise, right? I had you do that because the difference between the law and gospel is basically what we just did. It's the difference between advice and news. So for those of you who keep notes, write this down. The law is good advice. The gospel is good news. The law is good advice. The gospel is good news. If that is all you remember from my message today, I will be satisfied. I really mean that. Okay, so what is the main difference between advice and news? Why are we so easily able to uh, pull those apart? Okay, The key difference is how we interact with advice, the way we interact with news. How do you respond to that, right? How do you interact with advice? How do you interact with news? Well, you obey advice, right? There's three things you can do with advice. You can, you can do it, you can refuse to do it, or you can try to do it and then fail. So like if I say, you should work out at least 30 minutes a day, right? You can be like, yes, I'll do that. That sounds great. Maybe I can do more than that. Or you'll say, no, nah, I'm good. That's, that's not me. That sounds terrible. Or you can say, yeah, I totally want to do that. I really tried to do that, but you know, I'm just super busy and my couch is really comfy. Right? But here's the thing. Okay, here's the difference. You don't obey the news. You can't, you can't do the news. Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon on July 20th, 1969. It's not something you can do. You can't refuse to do that. You can't even try to do it and fail, right? That's a meaningless interaction. So what do you do with news? What do you do with this information that I just gave you, right? All you can do with this is you can choose to believe that it's true or you can believe that it's not true. That's, that's your choice. It's true or it's not true, right? You can live your life based on the belief that this is true, or you can claim that the moon landings were all faked. There are some people who think that, okay? But you can't live it out, okay? That is the difference between the law and the gospel. The law is statements like, love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, right? You can choose to do that. You can choose not to do it. You can try to do it and fail. But when it comes to the gospel, you cannot do the gospel. You can't refuse to do the gospel. You just believe it or you don't. Why? Why? Why is that? That is because the gospel, being good news, is news. Right? In the same way that you can't do Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk 
on the moon in 1969. You cannot do 2,000 years ago, the Son of God became a Jewish man, lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial substitutionary death on a Roman cross, rose on the third day, and ascended to the right hand of God the Father. You can't do that. That is not a command. That is not advice. I'm not asking you to do anything. Have you ever heard the phrase, let's live out the gospel, right? That's not a thing. You can believe the gospel. You can build your life on the truth of the gospel. You can share the gospel with others. You can live in accordance with the gospel. That's usually what people mean when they say live the gospel. They mean live in accordance with the gospel. Live as if the gospel is true. But you can't live out the gospel. You can't do news. Why? I'm going to keep beating this drum. Because the law is what you do. The law is what you do. If you have to do it, that's law. And the gospel is what God does. The law is what you do. The gospel is what God does. All right, for some of you, maybe that hasn't fully landed. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go through some other differences between the law and the gospel to try to peel these apart, okay? So I've already said the law is like uh, good advice and the gospel is good news, right? The law contains God's holy commands and the gospel contains God's holy promises. When you read the Bible and you find a command in it, that's law. When you read the Bible and there are unconditional promises, that's gospel. The law says you do this. The gospel said God did this. The law says earn this. The gospel says freely receive this. The law says work for me. And the gospel says rest in me. I'm working for you. The law reveals death and the gospel makes us alive. And most critically, the law points out our sin, but the gospel points out our Savior. Now, with that understanding, let's take a look at our cryptic passage again. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel, the promises, the description of God's acting in history beforehand to Abraham saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. What, what Paul is doing here is summarizing Genesis chapter 12 and Genesis chapter 15. Let me read the whole promise to you. Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, and Genesis 15, verse 5. This is what God tells Abraham. He says, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And he brought him outside and said, Abraham, look toward the heavens and count the stars if you can. So shall your offspring be. Is that advice or is that news? Right? Is that a command or is that a promise? Is this text about what Abraham is expected to do or what he should expect God to do? The next verse tells us how Abraham interacted with this word from the Lord. The next verse says this, Abraham believed the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. How did Abraham interact with this word from God? Does it say Abraham obeyed the Lord and it was 
and he earned righteousness. No. Abraham believed it was counted. He was treated as though he was righteous. So here's the question. Is this passage law or gospel? What do you think? It's gospel, right, right? If you recognize that this passage is gospel, then congratulations. You have earned your doctorate in theology, according to Martin Luther. I, I will warn you, he doesn't do accreditation, so you'll have to print out your diploma at home. Okay. <laughs> so, this is why Paul is able to say that God preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. This is the category of gospel. Right? Remember in my intro, I mentioned the two questions that this, this, this uh, passage immediately raises up. How can God, Abraham heard the gospel, and, and what does it mean? How can the gospel be in all, in you shall all the nations be blessed? Right? If you follow me thus far, I, really, I hope this passage now makes sense to you. This is a description of God's promise, of his action, unconditional. It's not based on Abraham's faithfulness. A few chapters after this, Abraham shows how unfaithful he can be. He shows his cowardice, right? He turns his wife over to another man. He, he tells lies. And, and God is still faithful. Again, if you just understand Galatians chapter 3, verse 8 now, like, I'll be satisfied. That's marvelous because it's a very, it's a, mysterious passage, okay? But like any time we open God's word and begin to look upon his majesty, there's so much more beauty. So let's just go a little bit deeper, okay? So we're going to get to this point. So what? Why does this matter? Let me un unpack for you a few practical implications, like takeaways, why it's so important to be able to understand how to divide the law and the gospel. Why is, why is this so critical? All right, first, have you ever heard someone say something like this? You know, it seems to me that all the major world religions are basically teaching the same thing. You ever heard that? What, what, what do they mean by this when they say this, right? Like, imagine someone comes to you and says, I'm, I'm a Buddhist, and I think Christianity and Buddhism basically teach the same kind of stuff. Imagine you respond, that's awesome. Like, I'm so pleased to hear that what Buddhism teaches is that 2,000 years ago, the second person of the triune God took on flesh, lived a perfect life, died a substitutionary death on the cross, rose from the dead. That's amazing. I didn't realize that Buddhism taught that. <laughs> like, what will they say? They're like, slow down. <laughs> Pump the brakes. That is not, that's not what I meant. What I meant is like, you know, don't murder, don't steal, do unto others, the golden rule, that kind of stuff, right? You see what they're doing? Yeah, they, they have one of the two categories, right? I hope you see what's happening here. Like when people say that all religions basically teach the same thing, they're, they're partially right, okay? What they really mean that is that all religions, all philosophies, all people agree on the category of the law. That good people should do good things, right? There's an obligation to do good instead of evil. It's better to distinguish between good and evil than not. And, and they're right about that. They're basically paraphrasing what Paul said in Romans chapter 2, verse 14 and 15. Paul said this, For when the Gentiles, who do not have the law, like the Ten Commandments, things like that, by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, while their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. Paul says that everyone has the work of the law written on their hearts. Every religion, every philosophy teaches and agrees on the category of law. Do this, but don't do that. That's a thing. 
right? But it's only the Christian faith that holds out the category of the gospel. Jesus kind of said it in this way, in John chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus answered them saying, my father is working until now, and I am working. Who has ever heard of a God who works for those who wait for him? So yes and amen, the major religions are basically the same regarding the operation of law. Every religion agrees. Good principles, good precepts, good rules, those are good. The difference is that they think that the law leads to life, and we know that the law only reveals death. The difference between the Christian faith and other world religions is not that we have better rules. We don't. We have a better gospel. Number two, the second implication of this distinction is what happens inside the church when we don't get this right. A famous theologian, Theodore Beza, put it this way, the ignorance of the distinction between the law and the gospel is one of the principal sources of all the abuses which corrupt and still corrupt Christianity. Let me give you some examples. Some of you may have heard, uh, grown up hearing the law and the gospel mixed together, right? Through well-meaning phrases like living out the gospel, right? What's the harm in that? Isn't that just being a little nitpicky? But confusing the law and gospel actually has grave implications. So like, let me, I'll list out a couple. So one error is that you can turn the gospel into the law. You can confuse them. Like, the thing that is supposed to be the key that frees us from our shackles actually becomes heavier chains. You might have heard something like this. Like, okay, so in the Old Testament, there were 613 commandments. Like, who can keep all that? Who can keep that straight? But thanks be to God, in the gospel, Jesus has done away with all those dusty Old Testament commandments, and now there's just two commandments. Love God and love others. There's just two. It used to be 613, now that you just got two. That's the summary of the Christian faith, love God and love others. You ever heard that? Love God and love others. Is that something, am I, am I telling you something that God is doing? Is, am I telling you what you're supposed to do? Right? Is that law or gospel? That's law, okay? In, in fact, Jesus labels them specifically. He says that they're the greatest commandment, the greatest law, and the second these are not lighter than the other 613. These are the heaviest. I, I can prove that. So um, I love me some bacon. <laughs> I love me some bacon. But love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is not easier to keep than don't eat pork. Right? Like we're in church worshiping God right now. This is probably the closest we come during the week to loving God with our total being, right? We're singing, our, our emotions are engaged, our mind is engaged, like we're, we're, we're trying to be fully present. And yet some of you are thinking right now, hey, like I wonder where we're going for lunch after this. <laughs> is that Memorial Day sale still going on? I didn't check out my cart, right? It's kind of cold. And I'm thinking right now, like are people getting this? That guy's checking his phone. Like, is this boring? I'm not making any sense. I'm the worst. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> also, what's for lunch? <laughs> like, I'm up here preaching the word of God, and I'm not even close to loving God with all my mind, all my soul, all my being. How am I supposed to do it the rest of the week if I can't even do it on Sunday? 
Love God and love others is not a summary of the Christian faith. It is the summary of our need for the Christian faith. It is the summary of our need for the gospel. It is not the gospel. It reveals death. If you ever have felt exhausted trying to be a Christian, perhaps it's because you accidentally were taught or you accidentally taught yourself to look to the law for your identity, for your rest, instead of to the gospel. To my tired brother, to my exhausted sister, if you choose the work of the law thinking that it's the gospel, you will find that your work is never done. You will find yourself dying more every day. And you will think that something's wrong with you or that something's wrong with God. The law's work is never finished. But the gospel invites you to rest in Christ's work, which is finished. It is finished. Rest in Christ's finished work, where you are called good and faithful servant, more than a conqueror, worthy, righteous, and beloved. The law shows us our great need for a Savior, but the gospel shows us we have a great Savior for our need. All right, here's another way that you might have heard the law and gospel smeared together. Remember that the law urges us to earn with our works, but the gospel says to receive freely by faith. If we confuse the categories of law and gospel, we can begin to mash them together, and then we make faith itself a work. Have you ever been taught or maybe you've told yourself something like this? The reason why I didn't get that blessing, the reason why I didn't get that healing, the reason why I didn't get that job, the reason why I'm suffering so much right now is because I haven't been producing enough faith. Were you ever made to feel guilty because you didn't have enough faith? As if you were the one responsible for producing it in the first place? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. Faith is a gift that God gives to you in the gospel. It is not a gift that you give to God. If you remember in the gospel of Mark, there's a, a, a man and his son is possessed by a demon. He comes to Jesus and says, Jesus please heal him if you can. And Jesus answered him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out saying, I believe, help my unbelief. I love that. That's a Christian prayer. Notice that the father does not say, Jesus, teach me how to generate more belief. He says, I have a little faith. Lord, give me more faith. Jamin taught us that life is a gift and God is the giver. Mark reminds us that faith is a gift and God is the giver. Brother and sister, you are not saved by your perfecting of your faith, but by the perfection of the one in whom your faith rests. It is not about you. That is why faith as small as a mustard seed can move mountains. It can save you. It's not about you. It's about Jesus. It is a horrible thing when teachers of the word, when Christians 
turn faith into a burden, turn the gospel into law. If you struggle with doubts, if you struggle with your faith, be encouraged that God knew all of that when he bought you. He knew that before the foundations of the earth. He bought you knowing all of your brokenness, all of your disappointments. God never has buyer's remorse. He does not keep receipts. He only buys broken people. So rest in him. Don't look to the strength of your faithfulness. That is sinking sand. Look to the strength of the faithfulness of Jesus. That's your solid rock. Number three. When we misunderstand the law and the gospel, we can easily fall into the mistake of turning every passage in the Bible about us rather than about God. Make the Bible about how to improve our work instead of focusing on his work. Let me give you a really easy example. Have you ever heard the story of David and Goliath? Right? And maybe you heard this line, David had five smooth stones. What are your five smooth stones? What are your stones of faith? The story of David and Goliath is a story of, um, the story of David's triumph over Goliath, rather, is not about you, right? The, the reader of that story is not being asked to do anything. In fact, even the Israelite army in the story doesn't do anything or contribute anything to their victory. The story is about what God is doing for the Israelites using David as an instrument. The story is not about you. It's about God and his faithfulness. It's meant to be gospel rest. There's a faithful king. It points to Jesus. It's not meant to be law-driven work. And yet we do that so easily, don't we? Even in the passage we read today, Abraham was told, In you shall all the nations be blessed. Your offspring will outnumber the stars of the heavens. Do you think Abraham had any idea how that was going to happen? Like the last verse of Galatians chapter 3 reads this. It says, if you are Christ's, if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to that promise, the gospel promise. In other words, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ and you're in this room today, you are the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham made in the Bronze Age. Abraham had no idea how that promise would be fulfilled. He just believed that it would. The promise wasn't about him. It was about God. Good news, not good advice. I just want to end my sermon. I want to speak some gospel promises over you today. I I, I want you to listen. I'm not going to give you any advice. I'm not going to ask you to do anything. Just listen and rest and receive freely with faith the gracious work of God who's fighting for us. God made all things. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth, but he made you in his image. And even though his image bearers broke the world, Jesus is making all things new. Jesus died for your sins. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means your identity is not defined by your worst moment. You are not the worst thing you ever did. God is working together all things for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Christ was raised on the third day. He's the first fruits of the resurrection. And because he is raised, you too shall be raised with him. Jesus is coming again to make all things new, to wipe away every tear, to erase every heartache, to restore everything that's been stolen. And one day God will dwell with us and we'll be his people. And none of that depends on your performance. This is not for you to do. This is for you to receive. This is for you to believe. We take a hold of this through faith. It is the finished work of Christ. Jesus said again, my father is working till now and I am working. Our God works that we might rest. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. That's the gospel. Let's pray. Dear Lord, who has ever heard of a God like you who works for those who wait on you? You invite us to be still and to watch your salvation unfold. God, we thank you that you you call us righteous. We know we're not. You share the spoils of victory with us like David did with the Israelites. You share your inheritance with us, oh God. Lord, we thank you that you are so good. We thank you that you are so kind. Lord, life is a gift. Salvation is a gift. Faith is a gift. The gospel is a gift. Your promises are gifts. Lord, you are the giver. Thank you, God. We pray all these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ.